This is the Urban Jellicle Podcast. Hello, welcome to Urban Jellicle. I'm Mike Kelly, and I have the great opportunity to talk to a longtime friend, Matt Round. Matt was a member of the church that I pastored here in Seattle. He and his, he and his wife, Rachel, and their children were here. And we loved to have them in the early part of the 2000s, but he moved on, and now he's planting a church in Edinburgh called Hope City Church, and we're going to talk to him about that. Uh, we're also going to talk to him about the journey that he took to get there. Matt started as a uh, code writer in some kind of hedge fund in New York. Sounds sketchy a little bit, but uh, then he went, worked for Amazon for a number of years and made the journey into ministry, and God's doing a wonderful work there in that church and in the rounds and their family, and thanks for being part of what we're doing today, Matt. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, it's it's really good to be here, and it's great to it's great to have a chance to catch up. You know, this is a good excuse for catching up, which is the sort of thing it's hard to make time for otherwise. So, really good to be with you. Yes, it is. It, it is. Uh, we should have done this before. So, um, I kind of queued up a little bit. You you started writing um, in the in the tech world, writing code and doing whatever else you were doing, and uh, so you were saturated in the marketplace. And I'm not sure you were thinking about ministry as a as a young man but you were, you were been connected. Uh, you came out to Amazon. You were there pretty early. You, you worked well in rows. And then I do remember as your pastor, you guys come in and saying, we got to get home. You know, we, we got to get back to, to uh, his wife's from, from Scotland. Matt is from, I think, Southern, Southwestern England. Did I do it right? Yeah. Well done. That is amazing memory. So, uh, so they headed home and, and we've missed them ever since. Uh, worked for Amazon over there. Tell us a little bit um, about how it came about, Matt, how your call evolved and changed. You were very involved in ministry here, even as you worked in the marketplace. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition and what it was like for you? Absolutely. Um, so I guess um, I became a Christian at university and um, my faith was very important to me. Uh, my wife comes from a, a long lineage of faith and it's always been a critical part of her life. And we were deeply involved in churches, I guess, all the way from our uh, our marriage onwards. But I kind of assumed that the role I was going to play in any church was uh, was, was in music and in worship because uh, that's the, I loved music and I've always loved music. It just turns out I'm not very good at it, which is probably kind of a, a significant issue with that being my major role. And I guess I'd never really thought about um, church leadership or um you know, um, being a, a preacher or a pastor or things like that. R- really, those sort of ideas hadn't occurred to me. Um, we landed in Seattle, um, as Mike said, with, with Amazon um, in uh, 99, I think it was. And uh, I happened to be um, an office mate in Amazon with a guy called Andy Harvick. And um, my wife and I had resolved that we didn't want to spend a long time shopping for churches. We just wanted to go somewhere and be there. And uh, Andy Harvick invited us um to, um, to dinner, uh, we failed to show up for dinner because we were buying a car. And instead, to placate them, we said, listen, we'll just come to your church. And so we came along to Green Lake Church and, uh, and, and never left. But Green Lake was, a, I didn't realize at the time just how unique uh, Green Lake was, how unusual um, what was happening there uh, at the time. The things we got to be a part of were, um, so at the time, Green Lake was uh, this really, well, this really kind of, I don't want to talk too much about Greenlake if I'm kind of going off topic here, but it was this really interesting kind of confluence of extremely reformed, highly orthodox, and yet uh, missional, culturally engaged. 
and uh, kind of that historic but indigenous, uh, a really strange melting pot of different things going on that was producing um, uh, a very vibrant piece of kind of community in the church, uh, a lot of kind of artistic outpouring and uh, a very rich kind of gathered worship. It was just a really unusual thing to be a part of. And um, we enjoyed being a part of there. We, they were so hospitable. It's probably the thing that stood out most to us. We, we couldn't manage to uh, get away from somebody's house for dinner for like a year, I think, basically. Somebody invited us to dinner every Sunday. Um, amazing. And we got, we got really drawn into the church. Um, uh, Mike was very, very gracious at kind of investing in, um, in, in younger men and uh, offering opportunities. I got engaged with um, the, the music and the, the art stuff going on at Green Lake a little bit and uh, their kind of community group system. But still, I think ministry to me was, was not something where I thought I would end up playing um, a leading uh, role. And uh, we ended up heading back to Scotland because we had kids in the States, uh, flying long haul with, with young twins, very, very unexciting to catch up with family. And uh, so we decided we should be on the same side of the earth as the rest of our family. And uh, amazingly, Amazon uh, were persuaded that they, they might allow us to uh, create a remote operation for them um, as a part of that. So I got to come back to Scotland to start up uh, an operation for Amazon here in, in Scotland. And um, we, we, we landed in kind of middle of nowhere, Scotland. Uh, I think it was at that moment that I really realized the, the, the privilege we'd had of being in some extraordinary churches when you land back in somewhere that was, it's still pretty unusual for our area, but, but it wasn't, you know, we'd had the privilege of being in um, Westminster Chapel, which was you know, Martin Lloyd-Jones's church famously, and R.T. Kendall was the Bible teacher there at the time. We'd been in New York, uh, in Redeemer with Tim Keller, and then um, uh, over at Green Lake. And uh, coming back to earth, uh, it was a bit of a bump and a bit of a shock. And uh, you know, again, I thought I'd probably be involved in the music, um, but, but what actually turned out happening was um, we had kids and a lot of kids and uh, I got involved in the, the children's program, which was not high on my list of things to do. Um, but, but they really, really needed people. So you I started know, out just being. This is not a dig against you at all. I just wouldn't have seen that coming. I didn't see it coming. I, that, that was not my, you know, it was, it was not my choice, but it, it, it was necessary to contribute. And I started out being a helper in the kids program, but I found I just couldn't keep my mouth shut, which I, I think will not surprise Mike at all. And so I ended up teaching in the kids program. And then through a surprising set of circumstances, I ended up running their kids program, which is a very young church. So I had lots and lots of kids in it. And then somebody suggested to me, Do you know, you really should be thinking about um, eldership at this church. And I had honestly never ever considered the idea. And then somebody else suggested to me, you really should be considering about eldership of this church. And I thought, well, okay. And uh, ended up becoming involved in leadership through that. And um, the church at the time was thinking about church planting, um, exploring those ideas. And uh, it had the, the resources, it had the people, it had the heft. It was kind of ready. And, and we discovered as we got leaders, as we got close to planting, that what we didn't have was somebody to lead that plant. And that was the gap. We didn't even have somebody on a training pathway towards being able to lead in that plant. We just had, you know, all the chess pieces in place, but a, a missing piece in the middle. And uh, my wife and I were talking about it and she said, well, well, maybe that's you. And I, we both agreed, like, 
that's a long shot, right? This is, this is a long way away from who I am and what I've done. And, uh, you know, um, Mike, Mike, having dealt with me a little bit, will know, you know, how irritating and frustrating I can be and, uh, and how difficult and hard to teach and things like that. And uh, it was... That's not how I would... I would characterize the other side of those. You're strong. Uh, you're a strong person with uh, a clear sense of your perception and where you think you should go. How's that? Is that better? Those are gifts. That, that must be that must be the the, the, the bright side of the equation. Um, so so my, my my wife suggested that really I should go and train first before doing anything like that. And uh, and, I, and I think that was a very very wise choice. And so, so we began working and train full time. I can't remember. I'm sure I knew this at one. Yeah. What I, what I did first is I, I dropped down to four days a week with Amazon so that I could give a day to the church and get more deeply involved. And then uh, in 2010, um, wow, 10 years ago, how's that? So in 2010, uh, I quit at Amazon and um, they were always a great employer, very good to the end. Um, so no, not, not a bad word to say about them. It was, it was really a good experience all through, but uh, they, they let me go, um, move on to a new thing. And uh, I enrolled with RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary, to start an MDiv via distance learning. So what and, was uh, that transition when, when the, your last day after being in the marketplace and the, really the tech sector forever, you know, relative to your lifespan? Was that uh, exhilarating, uh, frightening? Yes, did it just seem like the next step? Or so I, I'd, I'd been um, starting up a new office for Amazon was a great experience. I'd never done anything like that. And it was a great, it was interesting because it had everything from how do you put desks together to how do you negotiate with the government to how do you hire people to, you know, where's your office going to be? So it's a whole range. Of, I, I really enjoyed that. But after a couple of years in there, I started feeling like there's, there's a next, there's something next. And I, I just didn't know what the next was. I was imagining it'll be a tech startup. That's the obvious thing to do next. But, but I never had the smart idea. I mean, in fact, you know, I, I uh, pooed a lot of Amazon's best ideas, which went on to be super successes. So I'm glad Jeff didn't listen to me. Um, but um, I think probably the, the, the biggest thing going back to education, I was probably genuinely afraid that I wouldn't be able to do it, uh, particularly as a, you know, a technical person. Um, I hadn't written an essay since I was 14. Um, and... Uh, you know, uh, theology is an essay, a reading and writing subject. Um, so I, I guess I, I, uh, I was worried about learning biblical languages. I was worried about um, whether I could learn even anymore. And um, so it's quite a nerve wracking start. Um, but uh, but I, I uh, really enjoyed the languages work. I felt like it was it was tractable and, and I could do something with it. And I'd always always wanted to dig, dig really deep. Uh, on, on the Bible, worry about questions like... I'm a little surprised by... It makes sense because it's such a different field. Your anticipation about whether or not you could re-engage that. Um, yeah. I imagine you found that you could with some work. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did okay with RTS and... Um, so while, you were, while you were tracking and doing work at RTS, were you involved in the church plant at that time or was that just... Was that still just an idea while you were getting trained or um, so that came from and what your vision for that was? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think so I, I was getting excited about church planting. I read um, Steve Timmis and Tim Chester's book, uh, Multiplying Churches, which I thought was, you know, it was gobsmacking to me. It speaks about how this is the, 
the, the, the New Testament pattern. I just gobbled it up, enjoying all my conferences, seeing what I could read and find. So I was getting very excited about church planting. Now, real life is messy. So um, the church I was a part of, um, they made a decision that they really wanted to pursue um, women as elders. Uh, biblically, I couldn't be on board with that. Um, and, uh, and so they asked me to step down. Uh, and so we became involved in another teeny tiny early stage church plant. We had the privilege of stepping into somebody else's work already in motion. I mean, it was absolutely tiny. Um, you know, 12 people, um, 18 people. Uh, if you weren't, you know, welcoming people, you were on refreshments. If you weren't on refreshments, you were teaching the kids. If you weren't teaching the kids, you were singing. If you weren't singing, you know, you were teaching the congregation. There was everyone, all hands on deck every yeah, week. Been there. We've been there. And, um, you know, uh, a great leader there who was keen to invest and encourage me to keep on going and keep training, give me opportunity to explore. And uh, a guy called Tom Jackson, who I've had, you know, I just, um, yeah, a real gift to me to get to work alongside him while I was training. And then um, our, our mother-in-law uh, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Our plan had been moved to the States, finish out the studies, and uh, come back in a couple of years, that seemed like the wrong plan. And so we scrambled for somewhere to train in the UK at the last minute. And uh, amazingly, uh, Oxford um, were, were willing to let me come and uh, train with them. So while I was in Oxford, um, the, the church that we, we landed in there were planting. Um, it was one of the, uh, I guess, uh, it, it was a complicated situation. And um, the plant wasn't uh, universally well received, um, but I was a part of that plant finding its feet and uh, taking its first steps. Again, it's just another invaluable insight from the front lines um, of, of, of what it's really like trying to get things started and, uh, and trying to um, take all of the design steps and actions. So while I was studying, I was also helping, helping that church plan get started, but it became clear very quickly that was not the right place for us to be um, for the medium term. So I, I genuinely opened, you know, the UK's not got a lot of Christians. So I opened the UK's evangelical newspaper of which we have one. And in the bank pages, there are adverts for jobs. And, uh, and I started applying for jobs. Um, I was in a bit of a strange situation as a kind of independent who'd sent myself to study People don't do that. You're, you're kind of already damaged goods and tainted. And uh, it, it, you must look like an unusual candidate for anyone considering you. And um, I, I came up to Edinburgh to explore an opportunity with a, with a church here, Cornerstone um, Church, who were just uh, getting launched at that moment. Uh, I would have loved to have worked with them. Um, but um, theologically, they were um, Reformed Presbyterians and I'm a a Reformed Baptist, and uh, uh, it, it, it wouldn't have been possible for me to serve as an elder in that church. Um, uh, so I, I love them, and I'm so glad to be in the same city as them still. I'm very connected with the guys there still. Um, but while I was visiting Edinburgh, a Baptist church happened upon me through connections and networks, and uh, they had just had somebody move on, offered me a place with them, and uh, I joined them uh, as an assistant. And uh, my big role there really was to run their student program in a big city center church. Uh, and I did that for um, three years. Um, and I guess I joined, 
I don't know. I'm giving you far too much detail. I don't I'm know if any of this is I'm useful. This, this, whole, this whole thing I'm doing with Urban Jungle is a little bit about what interests me, and I'm interested, so keep going. Okay. Um, well, I guess I knew I'm, I'm a complicated person. I, I, I had always thought that I'm not the Swiss Army Knife Church planter. I'm, I'm pretty much the world's worst evangelist. Um, pastoral care is, is, is not my strong suit at all. Um, but there are things that I can do at the same time. So I had assumed the way I could serve best was being part of a team. Uh, and therefore, uh, you know, a bigger city center church with a team seems like a really good place for me to contribute. And uh, so I was really glad of the opportunity they gave me. And they were, you know, extremely um, generous in, in taking a risk on a young guy with a mixed background and uh, somebody they didn't particularly know and uh, giving me their, their student program. Um, which was uh, speaking as an established leader, someone with your background presents very, very attractive elements, but also does raise questions about the transition over into, a, you know, just a very different world organizationally and sociologically and, and in every and in every other way. So, um, you know, my experience with you, you reminded me always of me in certain ways that you have what we would call uh, very pronounced kingly gifts and uh, and prophetic gifts, you know, clear ability. But like me, I, I think for me, the priestly part, pastoral care, one-on-one stuff, it's always been a little bit of a left-handed exercise for me. And you mentioned that a little bit about, you know, your background. Yeah. That resonates with how I think you and I both experienced each other, you know, back when we were together. Uh, how has that developed? Have you always working on that? Have you, have you built a team so you don't have to ever care for anyone individually? Because um, it's, it's a brilliant question. I guess I, I think that really has fed my conviction that church is team sport. Uh, I think that's a completely biblical idea. So, you know, we know that elders are always mentioned in the plural. We read about um, gifts in the body in Corinthians or Romans. And in both cases, um, we're really told um, be who you are, recognize you need other people. And, and nowhere do we find this, you know, you really need the superhero who can do everything, which is just as well, because if church planting is predicated on finding a great limitless supply of superheroes, like we're out of luck and this movement is over. So I think the real challenge is to understand how team ministry can really be a reality in the, in the confines of a, a church planting movement. Uh, and, and I think that is that is genuinely challenging. Um, so that, but, that I can riff off that a little bit. When I look at your background, you've always been, and part of that's because you're gifted and God's got purposes for you, like all of us. But you have been in situations in the marketplace and then in the ecclesiastical world where leaders created space for you and encouraged you and gave you a platform to either screw up or do well, or, you know, learn as you go. Uh, leadership development is essential. And you're now talking about teams. How do you create that space at Hope City, which I want to hear a little bit about the church itself, but are you doing that? I imagine you're finding ways to do that when you build your team or tell me a little bit about how you translate that. Um, so uh, when we started, I guess one of the things that became very, very clear to me, having been involved in two early church starts, is, uh, is that you have to know um, what you are doing, what makes you you, how in particular you are going to 
pursue um, church. And, and I had come out of that with a conviction that mission must be at the center of church, not just for um, not just for your evangelists and your extraordinary people, but for everybody. And that multiplication needs to be uh, at the center of the church that we have to be thinking from the beginning about how it is we will multiply churches and that they can't just be the job of a few scattered mega churches here and there. Um, but, but it actually has to be the job of, of every church. So we, um, we launched with plurality and leadership in place uh, with, um, uh, I was privileged to be able to, um, so ultimately um, Charlotte Chapel, the, the big city center church I was working for in the student ministry, uh, I was trying to persuade them to become a planting church, to build a pipeline, to send other people. And they said, well, how about you go? Um, and uh, so I, I got to go um, with the privilege of taking two of their elders with me. Okay, uh, so that we had a, a team from the beginning, a team with complementary and diverse gifts. Uh, we were privileged to be able to take on a trainee um, very, very early on in our life as a church. Pretty unusual for an early stage church plan. Um, to uh, It's called plant pregnant. Uh, it was sure. uh, something people talked about well, a bit. Usually a and, trainee, that would be someone who is on track to for vocational ministry, already in training and feet on the ground. Uh, specifically with the view to church planting, or was it more general at first and then refined later? Um, God gave us somebody who was um, already on a training track with a view to planting. Um, it was extraordinary. There's an organization called um, AT3, the Alliance yeah. for Transatlantic Theological Training, and That's one of the things they do. Web, That's a good group. Yeah, yeah. So they gave us uh, a fully funded two-year intern, uh, a guy called Caleb, and he was such a blessing and such a help. And again, you know, more team to round out gifts and simply more warm bodies um, to stack chairs because church planting is basically coiling cables and stacking chairs. Um, So if you don't like coiling cables and stacking chairs, find another job. Um, Sure. So So I think we've been, we've been trying to understand kind of what does it look like to be a training church? What does it look like to be a multiplying church? And I think we've probably made as many mistakes as as successes in that we, we tried to launch a training day really early on when we were about a year old we added one day a week where we were inviting people to come in um to study the bible to study theology to think about um practical ministry and uh nearly killed me running that um and uh and i don't think it was really that effective but it seemed like a, a great idea at the time I'm, at the moment i'm back to the drawing board thinking how can we do this I, i'm more and more convinced by apprenticeship as a model for training than classroom and uh, just thinking about how apprenticeship really works uh, i think is um it's easy in the abstract but when you get down to the concrete and practical what apprenticing someone really means is everything is going to go slower it's going to take you more time to do everything with somebody else alongside you more things are going to go wrong it's so costly you kind of have to be over resourced beyond even what you need beyond what even seems reasonable to actually be able to practically apprentice people in our tradition, we've learned to send people away and contain them, and we filled our minds, and that's very important as you experienced. Then we end up doing the work later on anyway, because you still need to be formed in ministry. You still need yeah. to operate in the context of a neighborhood on a corner with people that actually have issues and names and things. And what we realized in our church plans about network. That, by the way, uh, you and Rachel were part of, uh, at the very beginning, starting and helping us. We realized that we don't plant churches. We've never planted a church. We 
we've actually been part of 20 church plants, but what we do is find, help fund, and form pastors. So we're, we realized about three years ago, sorry, 17 years into it, that we're really a leadership development ministry. And that's, in terms of your multiplying with young men like Caleb and others, that's what you've got to do. It's super intensive. Do you get a kick it out is. of that? Is that a charge for you or um, personally when you're engaged in it? Or are you focused more on the operations and getting to the next stage and you got to remind yourself to bring those folks in? Or, or you know, How does that work in you and your leadership style? Uh, it's a great question. Um, I, I think... It, um, I always aspire to do better than we're doing. The reality is that like I'm spinning so many plates at the moment um, that it is, it is really hard to be thoughtful about how you involve other people. Um, and uh, I had the privilege of working with students for three years. And I think one of the big learnings I took away from that was, you know, I thought I was quite a good communicator, um, but the impact I could have on people through communicating to a large group from the front was so small. Uh, whereas I felt like almost all of my impact was in a small number of people that I spent a large amount of time with. And uh, I don't know who it is who's got this diagram, but it's really stuck with me of kind of concentric rings. And it talks about demand versus impact. And it says, you're in the large ring, Jesus and the 5,000, great demand for feeding and, uh, you know, and teaching impact limited right they're all gone um the 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 day of resurrection jesus and the 12 you know much more impact jesus and the three and 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 i think that's really stuck with me and made me think i probably can't do very much but what i can do is do a lot with a few people then the challenge is well who are who are the people in whom it's right to invest that deeply and and how do you do it you uh to go back to the pastoral instinct that is pastoring, of course, as you know. It's not what the church has grown to think of as pastoring, um, even though that's part of it, too. It's the shepherd and the, and the member talking about struggles and issues and responding to their life. But raising up and discipling leaders and other folks, that is pastoral care. And it's intentional and shaped. It's got specific telos to it. But you're pastoring all those folks. So maybe I think that's a that's a brilliant observation. So that's right. What does discipleship look like for a potential leader? That's exactly what discipleship looks like for a potential leader. Yeah, that's really helpful. So what do you think? Was there anything uh, after the transition? So you're fully entrenched now. I mean, your marketplace world is sort of like memories in your in your journal somewhere, you know, Um are there things about ministry that you didn't see coming or were more of a rock in the shoe than you anticipated? And uh, so that's one part of the question. Some stuff that surprised you, good or bad, I guess. Uh, yeah. And also, are there things that that you learned from the marketplace that you think are valuable to import into this weird ecosystem that is the local church, which is a... Uh, yeah. I don't know that about it. I think probably the probably the, the biggest surprise and challenge moving from the marketplace to the church is um, volunteerism. That's probably the biggest challenge where, you know, in the workplace, I'd had the privilege of working in these really top flight firms where they're extremely picky about they hire who they hire. Um, in my department, I was allowed to be just ridiculously picky about who I hired. I had a cast of superstars, which is part of what enabled us to do great things. In the church, uh, we have who God has given us, 
And, you know, often, often, you know, his heart is for the downtrodden and the broken and the weak and um, the, the insignificant. And uh, oftentimes the tension between what is ministering to people and what is loving and helping them versus what is getting the job done, I think is, is, is very difficult to navigate. Um, and, and I, I think we're probably, we're, 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 that's one of the things that I'm, I'm realizing more and more that I'm not particularly good at. Uh, I felt like I was quite a competent leader of technology staff in my organization. I feel a very incompetent manager and leader of the, um, the cast of volunteers who are given their lives to serve the church. I used to ask my elders when I was in a senior pastor role, I used to once a year plead with them if we could hire everyone that volunteers in any capacity so that they actually work for me. <laughs> that, was, that, that motion was never passed. It was never even seconded. But uh, because there are those, that intersection of life, faith, heart, and mission is fully fused and even more than integrated, it's all together. When you're caring for someone, and they're doing a, a missional element for your church. That's a complicated thing. The, the other part of it is there are no solid org chart lines in your leadership. Everything is gray line or a dotted line. In, in significant ways, even staff people feel that way because... Absolutely, because it is a pastoral relationship, even with staff, even with trainees. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's an extremely hard thing. to. I think that is that is probably the, the biggest surprise and... Um, and, and, and challenge of the transition. What else? Um, just the speed at which you can move things. I guess I came from uh, an, maybe an unusual place, you know, where we could do something, we could have a million people try it out the next morning and by the evening, you know, we could see if it was working or not. Church is not like that. Um, I'm, I'm sure my church are, are, are sick and tired of me keeping on changing plans and directions and making up new ideas and trying new things. Well, that's a great, that leads into another thing. I know we, we talked about framing some of this, but um, uh, about what we're going to explore today. But that raises the question of how do you measure uh, success? You know, how do you know if Hope City is working? It, it fascinates me that I think six times Paul in the New Testament worries out loud or wonders out loud, expresses his fear that he, that he ministered in vain. I found it really frustrating to come from a world of metrics and numbers and measurability and goals into a world where nobody was willing to commit to anything. You know, measuring anything was seen as the worst thing you could possibly ever do. How, how unspiritual of you to count how many people there are in a church, despite acts repeatedly telling you how many are added to the believers of that day. Um, so, so I guess I came in with a real bent for metrics. I got a lot of pushback in established churches and, uh, I guess we're, we're, um, we're trying to do a better job of counting and tracking and being honest about it. Uh, I think in a more reformed setting, uh, it's often, I think we play hide and seek with this. We're like, you know, I, I faithfully preach the word and God will do, you know, whatever he wants to. Obviously, I have no control or influence over that because God is sovereign. And, you know, that is true. But at the same time, we are definitely meant to try as hard as we can. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 9, 19, to win uh, as many as possible. The NIV translates it. It's not substantiated. The Greek's even stronger than that. It just says to win more 
All he wants to do is to win more people. He cares about whether it is more or less. And Paul, you know, the author of sovereignty, spoke, speaking carelessly, but Paul, the you know, biblical author who writes so extensively about sovereignty, is clear that he has a desire to increase this number. And he thinks he has some say in it. Sure. And in churches where they're like, you know, I preach and, you know, it's all up to God from there. But really, you know, I preach the word. So no skin off my nose can't possibly suggest I've not done well. I think that's not really fair. Um, and that unfortunately points us to, you know, so how are we doing when the chips are down? Are you winning more? And the answer is, it is slow going, um, discouraging progress is not what we would like. Um, seeing new people become believers uh, in our context um, is rare. Other churches are doing better than we are. Their churches don't like to share numbers because it's scary. Um, but when we do scare, share numbers, other churches are doing better than we are. Uh, we could definitely do better. We've got more to try. We say the same here at Trinity Church and in our church plans. I think this is one of the most fruitful opportunities for pastors to uh, engage and believe and apply the gospel. How do you really still be honest and open and keep your passion about wanting more. And when it's very incremental and slow, how do you not become cynical or discouraged or, or withdrawn? Because what we do, Matt, and I'm sure you see this all over, maybe in yourself too, like I do, we do play hide and seek. I like that language. We, we enjoy and use to our advantage the abstract metrics of whether or not our ministry is working. Because yeah, get, I'll publish the metrics that made me look good, right? Yeah. And um, so, but then at the same time, there's a, we can never escape that. And the fact that you never really know or understand fully whether, you know, like Paul said, it's in vain, that wears on us too. You know, a little secret for, for uh, my boys never cut the grass, even though I had boys and they're supposed to cut the grass. And the reason they never cut the grass is because I could cut my grass and then sit on my deck and drink a beer and say, that grass looks different than it did an hour ago. And I don't get to do that anywhere in my real life. It's so true. So, you know, um, in, in the middle of lockdown, I have um, sanded down and refinished all of our garden furniture. And, you know, because I can start it and I can finish it, you know, and, uh, and that, now it's done. And, but ministry is just not like that. And that's really hard. It's really hard to keep going. I think I'm so aware of the need for pastors to be encouraged, uh, leaders to be encouraged because, um, you know, we need it. Uh, I think we've got to avoid this kind of superhero mythology about us being immovable and, you know, indestructible and undiscourageable. It's just not true. My, my sense when I talk to leaders in Europe and Britain, uh, is that you guys are not quite as siloed generally as the American church has been, everybody in their own little tribe and corner. Uh, is that impression that I have true? It's, by the way, changing in Seattle quite a bit. You'd be very pleased, but it's still got a ways to go. You guys, Yeah, I think that's, that's one of the kind of unfortunate positives of being a church in the margins is, you know, there are so few of us now, we can't afford to hate each other and want each other to die. Um, but actually, we have to want each other to win or we're all going down. Um, so I think I think it really has, you know, um, what's the statistic here is um, uh, Barna survey estimates something like 2.4% of um, Scotland are, you know, serious evangelical Jesus loving Christians um, who are 
part of part yeah, of church. I, I'm interested in your perspective on that, and then I want to talk about what's next for for uh, Hope City. So let's start with North America and the United States specific positive. Ooh. What I love about the, um, the, the the U.S. church and what I think you are giving to the world is the um, the entrepreneurial spirit, for want of a better word. Um, the, you know, let's think about this. Let's strategize about this. The pragmatism. Um, the, the church growth movement, uh, obviously very, very much maligned. Um, but the, the church growth movement and, it, and its successors, I think, actually have been real gifts um, to the, the the wider church, so I really love the creative thinking, um, the 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 differences in expression and methodology that result, the willingness to talk openly about things that work and um, things that don't work. Um, so I think that's 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 probably what I would think of as the biggest asset of the U.S. church and uh, one of the gifts the U.S. church can can bring to the wider church. I guess even as we think about any individual church as a body made up of different parts, the capital C church is a body made up of different parts as well. And all the parts need each other just the same. Because this is true even at the kind of church to church level. And and I think we need the American church's um, creative, dynamic entrepreneurialism. Um, what do I notice that is is perhaps more lacking in the American church? I I don't think, uh, here's something that's different. I don't think it's lacking, but it's very, very different. Casual Christianity is still a thing in America. Uh, you know, even in Seattle, which likes to think of itself as post-Christian, like, you know, come to Europe, uh, it's, it, it's, it's different again. So you're in a, or a, a lot of the U.S. is in a very unusual globally situation of having quite a large number of casual, cultural um, attendees still. And I guess, you know, in Scotland, 50 years ago, 50% of Scotland was in church on a Sunday morning, just 50 years ago. Wow. Um, it's like whoop, down and dead. Uh, that, that, that's gone. So we, nobody goes to church because it's culturally normal or uh, what their parents did here. Absolutely nobody. Um, where I think there still is some kind of cultural yeah. artifact. And that is, yeah. it's an opportunity, but it's a challenge as well, because the truth is that the cultural Christians have been inoculated yes. with just enough gospel to make them largely, you know, there enough therapeutic deism to make them immune. There's a positivity rather than a hostility, you know, and, and I guess we can overplay the hostility towards the church um, in Europe, but there is at least a settled ambivalence. You know, a kind of you go do your private weird thing where in America, broadly speaking, it seems like it's not at least viewed negatively by most people. Exactly. Uh, or at least there's enough space where they can they can give you to, to sort of swim in, in that lane. Yeah. What's, that, what's going on? And tell us a little bit about Hope City Church. And, uh, you know, of course, you're in COVID land, but uh like yeah. all of us, and that's challenging. Tell us a little bit about what you're excited about, maybe what's next, assuming COVID doesn't last forever, and then um, a little bit about how people can get connected, even from far away, to pray, to keep track of what's going on. Um, there might be folks yeah. listening that want to support a work like yours. So tell us a little bit about that. What's going cool. on, and what do you hope is next? Um, so we launched um, Easter 2018. So we're just over two years old as a church. We launched with a core group of 35. And for the record, I would say 
that is a good core group size. You know, at 35, you can do church and nobody dies. We're much below 35, just people start to die and running the machine kills the mission. Um, so, so my recommendation would be go bigger if you can. Um, we've been encouraged by seeing a congregation really take on board this ideal of every member, every day, everywhere missions. One of the big things we have been talking about from the beginning is we were all called to reach out, reach out in ordinary ways. So we're trying to reprogram what people think of as mission to be, you know, it's not that you have to do um, six boxes, two ways to live with your neighbor over the fence, um, but you could pray for them. Uh, you could serve them. You could love them. You could eat with them. And yes, you could share your story with them. So we've been trying to think through concrete steps um, for you know, what does mission look like in practice? We've been using um, the BLESS acronym. I don't know if you've heard that from uh, Chicago oh. community. Uh, begin with prayer, um, listen, eat together, uh, serve, share your story. Just BLESS, a really easy way to remember five kind of simple missional practices that all of us can do. And then what, what I love about it is I'm so bad at this. I'm so bad at this that I need simple, stupid things that people like me can actually do. So the church is on board with that. That's really encouraging. Uh, we've seen um, a few people come to faith, which has been wonderful. We've seen more people come back to church, um, which is it's not particularly what we targeted. But if we can provide a pathway by being a different kind of church, that's cool. Um, we've had the opportunity to move relatively quickly. So in the UK, I guess it'd be very unusual to be two years old and to have a building and a trainee and, uh, you know, uh, an arts person. And uh, so we've had the privilege of moving quickly, and that's been very exciting. Particularly, we've been investing recently in the arts and trying to see how we can more value them and uh, make richer use of them in our gatherings. And so I'm so excited to have... Uh, uh, a director of worship and the arts and a, an arts intern on board who are helping us um, think creatively and use the power and uh, uh, the, the, the beauty of the arts um, in, in our gatherings and think about that just more widely in our lives. Uh, I'm excited uh, about um, growing up as an organization. I guess we were an amorphous blob to begin with where everything passed through my brain and uh, uh, then I nearly died and it got too stressful. And now we have an org chart and we're starting to fill holes on the org chart. And um, this, is, this has been a real encouragement to me. Um, uh, what else is going on? We're, so You're trying to survive COVID. Uh, You're about to go. Yeah. Real so um, in, in Scotland, um, we, we ended up in lockdown in March. Uh, and uh, hopefully this Sunday is going to be our first Sunday with a limited in-person gathering lots of regulations about numbers and distancing and safety, no singing. It's not going to be lovely, but it'll be a little something after five months. Um, so we're, we're, we're taking that, that step back towards a bit of normal. I guess I would feel like there's a very high risk where we back and forth between uh, lockdown and not over the next while. So our digital life is something we need to nurture and care for and keep going. So what's around the corner for us? Um, we would really like to step on the gas on training uh, and thinking about how apprenticeship works. We set out with a goal of planting uh, in five years, but you know, we have a goal like plant in five years. It's always five years. So we, 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 we put a number on it and that means it's 2023. 2023 is almost tomorrow. Um, so, so I think we're getting quite anxious about how that's really going to happen. 
Considering uh, so really, 2020 sort of evaporated in so many ways. I know. I, well, yeah, like flatline or backwards is what 2020 looks like. I guess, my, yeah, I don't think everyone's experienced the pandemic the same way. I found it just a really discouraging you know, grind of sure. managed going backwards. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, you're still going to hold the 2023 and see what the Lord does then. And have you identified a leader for that yet? Or are you still okay? We, yeah, um, I, our goal had been to um, raise up and train from inside. Uh, there, God has given us some very promising um, young people. Perhaps this will be the right next step for them. But we're also wondering whether actually we're just too small and people are too thin on the ground and we might need to recruit externally for uh, a ministry resident and then be thinking about getting behind them and uh, enabling wow. them to go forward. So how can folks who uh, who tune into this keep track of what's going on there and uh, connect with you? I, I'm thinking of the email that you send out that I follow. That yeah. In the long term, the church in the UK cannot um, sponge off of the church in the US. Um, but in the short term, the US has been such an incredible blessing and accelerant to church in the UK. I can't tell you how many church plants um, only exist because of the generosity of um, U.S. donors making it possible. Uh, I'm just thinking around all the guys I know, and in fact, I think every single one of them has a chunk of their funding coming in from the U.S. Um, Giving in the U.K., we just suck at giving. But um, we would love to take on more trainees. Um, We're going to be heading uh, into the red very quickly. Uh, I think if God is in this, Uh, If we are to train more people, to plant, to multiply, if we are to enrich uh, our embrace of the arts, and really I'd love to start uh, a a renaissance essentially of arts inside the conservative church uh, in Europe, because I think they've been marginalized in the conservative church and really poorly used. Mm -hmm. If we're to do any of those things, if those are God's plans, then, then he'll provide for it. And perhaps... You know, perhaps you watcher could be that provision, and I'll be very excited to talk to you about that if you like to. So, hopecityedinburgh.org and look for the support us tab. And uh, follow along in their sermons and services as well. Uh, I invited Matt on because I really uh, have a lot of respect and affection for him and believe in the work they're doing over there. So, um, keep track of it, follow it, pray about it, and um, I hope that. I know I've learned. I hope that you've learned. The viewers and listeners have learned to really, really appreciate your time and want to stay connected. So thanks, brother. Really good to see you. Great to catch up. Thank you for listening. Urbangelical is a ministry of the Northwest Church Planting Network in Seattle, Washington. If you would like to be notified of future podcasts, please visit nwcpnetwork.com and click podcasts.